Uh, it's always funny to hear your own voice. Oh, it is. I hate the sound of my voice. Yeah. Likewise. <laughs> I hate the sound of your voice too. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome all to another New Church Starts Conversation. Um, have with us today, Michael Mills, who is the pastor of Inland Church in Spokane, Washington. It is a blessing to to be friends with Michael, uh, to be colleagues in the great work together. And I know that our time together today will be fruitful for everyone to, to listen to. So welcome, Michael. Well, thank you. Uh, it's a warm welcome. It's an, it's an honor to get to do this. Really, the first question that comes to mind, uh, why Spokane? Uh, you know, when a lot of people think of the great Northwest, of course, uh, Seattle and Portland comes to mind and there's tons of church starts popping up left and right in, in those areas. Um, but, you know, a lot of people think of Spokane, they might think of uh, your Seattle's, think of your Portland's, but it's, it's a completely different world, knowing that driving literally across from uh, the state of Washington from Seattle to Spokane. <laughs> so, so how, did y'all, how did y'all end up there? Mm-hmm. Great question. Uh, we um, uh, actually moved up to the Northwest, um, and we had about a year or so to... Um, in a sense, get our act together um, before we ended up moving to where it was that we were going to move. And um, and in that year, we toured around all of the Northwest. So we went to the Seattles and the Portlands, to the Bellinghams, to the Ashlands, to even as far inland as Missoula, Washington. Um, and we were looking at all these different cities, um, trying to see what was going to be a good fit for our team. Um, when it came down to the point where we actually needed to make a decision, um, because we were actually going to be moving in a couple of months and we didn't know where we were going to be moving. Um, the team was pretty split. Um, it was almost as if we had seven different places that, um, that we thought we needed to be. And everybody was kind of getting to the point where we were willing to dig our heels in and say, no, I'm not going to Missoula. I'm going to Bellingham. And others were saying, no, I'm not going to Bellingham. I'm going to Missoula. And we kind of just hit this point where we, it was almost a stalemate. Um, and we didn't really know the way forward. And so it was, it was a very stuck feeling. Um, and it was at that place of, uh, of not knowing the way forward that um, uh, one of the ladies on our team just felt pretty clearly that she heard from God in whatever form that works that Spokane was the place that we needed to be. Um, oddly enough, that was the city that was closest to us at that point in time, but it was the one that we hadn't actually considered. Um, and so uh, hearing this, uh, we took a, some time to consider it, to take a closer look at Spokane. And, and in doing that, we kind of came to realize that um, Spokane was probably the only city in the Northwest that everybody on our team could be and that they could be there in kind of a healthy way. Um, and so it really ended up being the perfect fit. And, and honestly, once we moved to Spokane and began to make it home and to settle in, uh, we came to realize that, um, that more than, the, than Seattle and Portland and all these other cities, um, uh, Spokane is um, something of a forgotten city in the Northwest. Um, you, could, uh, you could just feel the potential there. Um, and, and much of the potential is just going unrealized, honestly, because cities like Seattle and Portland were getting so much attention. Um, and so in a lot of ways, we moved into Spokane and quickly made it home. And uh, it was just like a city that was ripe for something. 
Um, and honestly, as we began to settle in and kind of learn what was happening in the city already, there was actually a lot that, that was happening and, and is continuing to happening. And so, um, and, and in a lot of different ways, it's felt like um, a, a big movement of, of potential being realized in Spokane that we've just kind of honestly fallen into. Um, and so through this journey over the past five years, um, I don't think there's ever been a doubt in anybody's mind that, that Spokane was where we needed to be. Um, and so to be able to settle in and make it home with that kind of confidence has, has definitely been a blessing for us. Little known fact about Spokane, it is home to the world's largest three-on-three basketball tournament, the Spokane mm-hmm. Best, also mm-hmm. Saga University. Um, but being able to physically see uh, and walk around with you, uh, Spokane is a beautiful city uh, mm-hmm. and definitely a city that you all have found great success in building a healthy community with other people. Um, probably probably not a well-known fact about Inland Church um, is that it wasn't just a single church starter yourself, you know, going to Spokane as, as you spoke about, but it was a, a group of friends, uh, a group of ministers that felt called to do this together. Um, how did y'all discern that? Where did that all start and how did that begin to form and lead you to begin to say, hey, look, let's go find somewhere God's calling us to serve together? Uh, in some form, and I think this is a beautiful part of Inland Church's story, um, it's almost like Inland Church began almost 15 years ago. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, um, I was um, uh, able to meet some friends, um, and those friends quickly became uh, brothers and sisters. And, and what we found in kind of the, the tail end of our experience in college together was that uh, we had... Um, found ourselves in this form of community, unlike anything that we had ever been a part of before. Um, it was, uh, it was real and it was deep. It was authentic. And, um, and we knew that that was something special. Um, and so towards the tail end of our time together in college, we began to talk about, well, what could we do with community like this? How could we, um, further it? How could we invite others into it? Um, how could we leverage it for something significant um, in the world? Um, uh, at that time, we didn't have good answers to that question. Uh, and so we uh, promised to stay in touch and um, stay connected. And we all kind of went our separate ways. Um, and it was about, uh, I guess, about three or four years later that um, those questions began to continue to kind of rumble and and get some feet under them in a sense. Um, and so uh, we were able to start up that conversation again and, and ask, well, what could we do with this community that we have? And in a roundabout way, we got connected with um, a church up in the Northwest that was wanting to um, kind of invite, invite groups up to spend a year with them to do almost like a um, a church starting residency program, um, something like that. And we were the kind of the first group that they did this with. Um, and so uh, we got to know them a little bit and, and seemed like that this was a, a good fit um, uh, for spending a year together. And so um, uh, that was the opportunity. And, and then all of a sudden we each got to um, discern and figure out if this is something that we wanted to be a part of. And in the end, there were seven of us that ended up uh, kind of throwing our hat in the ring and um, 
uh, we came from from California and from Texas, and we met up together in the Northwest, and uh, and then that was when we began to really figure out, okay, well, what do we want to do with this? We know we have this special community. Um, how do we want to invite others into it? How do we want to use it for something significant? And uh, after a, a lot of long and often painful conversations together that seemed to just kind of drag on and on, we we finally ended up with something that um, uh, looked like the very early stages of Inland Church. And uh, it was then that we moved to Spokane and, and were able to kind of hit the ground running. It's a very interesting church leadership structure. Um, maybe expand a little bit more around the dynamics of sharing pastoral responsibility with um, a small group of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in many ways, um, good and bad, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, what we wanted to create with Inland Church was, um, in a large part, reactionary, um, uh, out of kind of the, the church culture that we came from. And um, uh, I think that's a great way to um, uh, do something with passion, and at the same time, uh, it's a great way to do something in a prideful way, thinking that uh, we're doing it better than everyone else. Uh, and so uh, we've had to kind of discern that through our journey in many different ways. But um, uh, church leadership was one of the things that we knew we wanted to do differently um, from kind of where we came from. Um, and so rather than the kind of the very um, hierarchical um, top-down structure, um, we wanted to level the playing field in a sense. And, and so rather than have a senior pastor who um, uh, kind of hands the vision down to the next level, who passes it down to the next level and, and so on and so forth, um, we wanted to um, kind of take out any kind of um, well, hierarchy uh, and, and really say that we are doing this together. And so with that being the case, um, how can we model that? from day one. Um, and so we started out with, um, uh, four pastors, um, uh, of a church of about seven people. <laughs> and so some might say overkill and they would probably be right. Um, but we wanted to, um, uh, basically model that, that, that our church leadership structure was a little bit different. Um, and so, uh, we were all bivocational in some sense. And so we were all, um, kind of splitting our time uh, in different ways. And uh, and rather than have kind of a very clear-cut um, organizational chart of this pastor is responsible for this thing and this pastor is responsible for that thing, um, it was kind of more of just a communal chipping-in effort, which is messy, honestly. And um, it often means that, uh, that things don't get done in an efficient way. Um, but the upside to that is that um, uh, everything we were doing was very relational and we were depending on each other. And so in that way, I know that if, if I was having a bad day, um, my bad day wasn't going to affect the entire church because there was somebody there that was going to be able to step in and, and compensate for my shortcomings that day. And I was going to be able to do that uh, to them on a different day. And so in that way, we have, um, uh, we've kind of just created a different church culture than, than the larger evangelical church that you might expect um, in our country. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of our people that have um, kind of bought into the vision of Inland Church, um, they 
like that. Um, uh, uh, there's a very strong current of kind of a anti-institutionalism um, uh, with a lot of our people. And so there's just an inherent distrust of, uh, of structure and systems and institutions. And so to step into a church where um, it's harder to see that. And instead of that, you see people, people helping and supporting one another. Um, it just made uh, their vision of what church was meant to be a lot um, more tangible and a lot more real. Uh, and so certainly it's been messy along the way, um, but that's the kind of a mess that we knew we were stepping into and we knew that there would be value uh, on the other side of it. It'd be quite easy for you know a, a core group of friends, these seven people venturing from um, a time of shared history together to go to a place like Spokane and to um, well create community and offer you know this new way of being the church together for other people to um, white knuckle leadership and ownership of that community. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how y'all have been able to interweave uh, the Spokaneites, if you will, <laughs> uh-huh. into Inland uh, so that the identity is more than, than just um, these friends who, who venture to Spokane together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been um, uh, tough, for sure. It's not something that's happened naturally. And um, we were a little bit aware of the difficulty with that, stepping into it, but um, kind of the day-to-day realities of, of what it looks like to, to give leadership away is just not natural, uh, at least not natural to me and not, not natural to a lot of our leadership. And so it was something that we, we've had to be very intentional with. And um, uh, honestly, holding the value of, of giving leadership away, um, we've had to kind of cling to that uh, just because it's so natural to, like you said, to white knuckle it and just to get it done yourself and, and know that it's going to be done the way that you want to do it. Um, uh, probably the best um, venue that we've been able to kind of um, model that is with our corporate gatherings. Um, so every Sunday night we get together and we share a potluck meal as the first part of our time together. Um, and then for the, the second half of our time together, it looks a little bit more like what you would probably expect from a traditional church gathering uh, with the sermon singing and the, uh, the ever painful announcements. And um, uh, with, with doing the potluck um, uh, early on, we saw that that was a way for people to um, uh, contribute something to the gathering on a weekly basis. And so rather than uh, getting to show up and to receive, um, you got to show up and you got to give. You Right off the bat, what you prepared for the potluck was a part of our experience together. And the food that you made is feeding the person that you're sitting across the table from. Um, and so that was something that very early on kind of um, shaped a bit of our culture. Um, and then with the, with the second half of the gathering, um, with things like announcements and sermons and singing, uh, we have just tried to give away as much of that as possible. And so as, as often as people are willing, we are asking them to lead announcements and to preach sermons and um, to get involved in other ways um, uh, so that it's not always one person or two people that are leading 
you know, our time together, but instead it's, it's us, it's our community. And, um, and honestly, people have stepped up in in really beautiful ways. And, um, uh, over the, the past couple of years, we've had, um, gosh, maybe 10 or so people, um, preach their very first sermon ever. And, um, that's a beautiful experience for them to be able to do, you know, because it's, it's just not what you expect. Um, you know, usually you go to church to hear the preacher preach, but instead our brothers and sisters preach. Um, and, and our people have just done so well with that. Um, like it's amazing the, the potential that, um, if we hadn't been intentional about it would have just never been realized, but because we have intentionally tried to give that leadership away, um, it's created the space for, for our people to step up and to do something that they didn't think they could do. And we weren't sure if they could do it, but we wanted them to try and, and they have, and it's worked and it's been a really, really beautiful thing. Um, and so I think the, the, the grand picture of, of what that approach has, has created is just, um, just a lot of ownership in in our community and in what we are a part of, um, as a church family. I think if I was to find, you know, a few words or a phrase to describe Inland, um, I think it would be new opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think what y'all have done, um, and coming in an area that is very disenfranchised with church, people are not trusting of the institution that you've given people a new opportunity to see the church in a different way, to experience real life uh, together with others in a different way. And then to springboard people into new opportunities that they never thought they would have before. Um, I think, I think Inland does that well. Um, well, thanks. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> little, little bias, little bias. Yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll find very unique ways to gather. Uh, of course, you gather uh, in the traditional sense for worship, but even how you gather for worship is different. Mm-hmm. You define uh, the other ways you get together as gatherings. Tell us a little bit about that language and how you would describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we um, that was kind of another uh, intentional choice that we wanted to make early on is that um, uh, what we did on Sundays was not uh, a service um, and it was not the opportunity for you to go to church. But instead, we wanted to use the word gathering because uh, we wanted to reinforce that we are the church. The people are the church. And so what we do on Sundays is merely a coming together of the church. It's a gathering of inland church. Um, and so that was language that we wanted to be very intentional with um, early on. And um, in the very early days of inland church, um, we honestly, it was a mess. Uh, but what we did on a monthly basis with our Sunday gatherings was uh, each week looked a little bit different. And so the first week of the month would be um, kind of what I explained earlier, where we would have a potluck meal and then kind of your traditional church service. The second Sunday of the month was more of a, a service project. And so rather than um, doing kind of the traditional worship thing, we would find some way to serve our city together. Uh, the third week would look kind of like the first week. And then the fourth week was what we called play. 
and it was just an opportunity for us to do something fun together to kind of fellowship. And so we would cook out in the park. We would go bowling. Uh, we would go ice skating. We would um, uh, just find some way to be normal together, to kind of just hang out and fellowship together. And then if there was ever a fifth Sunday, we called that an encourage, and it was still kind of enigmatic what exactly that was. But uh, all that to say, uh, in the very early days, um, it was very hard and very confusing uh, what our Sundays were going to look like. Um, but if, if, if our people were able to hang with that, I think that rhythm, uh, it reinforced a lot of important values that we wanted to be able to say, these are important to us. Uh, and that was eating together and studying scripture together and serving together and playing together. And over the years, we have um, uh, kind of evolved um, into something that's not quite as messy. And uh, it's a little bit easier to understand and to be a part of. Um, but a lot of those values are still very active and still very real um, in our community today. Um, and so uh, even um, like this weekend, um, uh, rather than do our kind of traditional Sunday gathering, um, uh, we're going to simply go camp out together. And so there's a little state park right outside of our city. And we're just going to have a big group campsite and have it open all weekend and let people kind of come and go. And on Sunday, we're going to eat together and um, play some games together and then just sit around a campfire and um, hopefully kind of talk about life and what's good and what's bad and, and how we're all kind of journeying together through that. Um, and so we have, uh, in just a lot of the different ways, we have um, let go of what church is supposed to look like. And instead, we've asked the question, well, what, what could church look like uh, and what should it look like for us? Um, and in that way, we've been able to kind of create a lot of, as you said, like new opportunities for people to engage and explore and and find an expression of church that that speaks to their faith. Michael, this might be a good place for us to pause and uh, maybe ask you a few questions from uh, our Church Start community. Um, this one primary question, which I think is probably the best question we could ask you, uh, comes from um, the vice president of your fan club. You know, you know that I'm the president of the fan club, so I don't want to mistake any qualifications here. Uh, so this comes from the VP of <laughs> fan club. This is uh, Josh James, church starter in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, and mm-hmm. he, wants to know, uh, he said, Michael has been known to read long sections of Jürgen Moltmann's writings in his sermons. I would like to hear him talk about Moltmann's influence on his theological conclusions, and I would love for him to teach us how one can get away with reading large passages from theologians in the middle of sermons. <laughs> uh, great question. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> uh, Josh and I, uh, we, um, uh, we check in with each other pretty frequently, and uh, we often find that our churches are doing the same thing or going through the same thing um, without knowledge of, of each other. Um, and so uh, we actually just finished preaching um, through the Nicene Creed. And um, Josh's church, the Restoration Project, is just about to start preaching through the Nicene Creed, just happened to be. Uh, and so he was asking some questions about um, what we've done, what's worked and what hasn't. And um, I was just kind of sharing with him that 
um, in, in some of my research, uh, specifically on uh, the judgment portion of the creed, um, uh, I was struggling. And um, uh, I knew that I had my personal baggage with uh, the concept of the judgment that is to come. And, and here I was supposed to preach on it. And I had just no idea. I didn't even know what I thought about it in a way that was helpful. Um, and thankfully, um, uh, uh, a dear friend, someone like Jurgen Moltmann, uh, just showed up at just the right time. And um, I was reading in, uh, let's see, it was The Way of Jesus Christ, I believe is the book that he wrote. Um, uh, he just had some, just what I think is fantastic um, thoughts on the judgment. And as I was reading it, um, my personal baggage was kind of fading away. Um, uh, everything was just falling in place for me. And then I just began to wonder, well, how, how am I going to preach this in a way that's any better than what Jurgen wrote? And then I just kind of decided that I probably couldn't. And so then I began wondering, well, is it okay for me just to read? a very large portion of his book as my, my sermon. Um, and I was sharing this with Josh and, uh, he, uh, he didn't think I could do it and get away with it. Um, so I accepted the challenge. Uh, I did end up reading a, a pretty good chunk, uh, of it during my sermon. And, um, I did. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, um, against Josh's thoughts, I was able to read, uh, someone else's work as my sermon, and I successfully got away with it. The true experiment is going to be uh, for us to listen to uh, Josh's podcast and then mm-hmm. go back and listen to your podcast to see, you know, is there, <laughs> some, is there too close to similarities, not to accuse anybody of plagiarism mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, the great thing about Boltman uh, is you can, you can drop that name so often and sound so cool. I think the only other theologian that is just as fun to say is Balthazar Hubmeier, who was a great German <laughs> Baptist uh, from the Reformation. Um, we spoke about um, that church starts have come and gone in Spokane. Um, in fact, many mega church offshoots from, let's just say the, the, the Eastern part of your state have come and gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems that, Inland, though neither one of us would categorize it as a megachurch, nor would we want to, um, has found a way to make an indelible mark on Spokane. Why do you think that is? Hmm. Um, I hope that's the case. Uh, I appreciate you thinking it's the case. Um, uh, honestly, I think if there is um, if there's something that Spokane has. Uh, sorry, if there's something that Inland Church has contributed to Spokane, um, uh, I, I have to think that it's our community. Um, uh, because to know that today there exists a group of people that know each other and that love each other and that truly, like we call each other family, like we are brothers and sisters, um, to know that today that exists and five years ago it simply didn't, um, uh, that's a, that's an act of God, you know, like, um, to see the creation of, of a community like we have today. Um, uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, um, it's the kind of thing that like we, that are a part of it, we, we know it, we feel it, 
um, we get to experience it. Um, but then to, to think about someone outside of that and their experience of it and the way that they see it or the way that they encounter it, um, that's kind of the step that, like, I don't know. I, I don't know, honestly, what other people are experiencing of our community. Um, but I trust that it's, it's something significant, that it's something of God's kingdom, um, and and again, like we we fully believe that um, we are the church, and so the inland church is not what happens on Sundays, but that throughout the week, inland church goes to school, and inland church goes to their workplace, and inland church stays home with kiddos, um, and, and and as people kind of carry the identity of inland church into their um, you know weekly and daily lives, um, our hope is that that's doing something significant. I, I don't know if it is, but it's kind of one of those things that um, I trust in God's vision of, of God's kingdom being made manifest here and now. Uh, and so I trust that uh, every time each of us as individuals are out in our community, out kind of just doing our thing, that in that way, you know, God's kingdom is being seen. It's being manifested. It's going forth and that what we do on Sundays is just kind of a coming together and a getting to share hopefully all of those beautiful stories. And a lot of times the, the failures of it, you know, the shortcomings. Um, but that's kind of one of those things that, you know, I, I would love to know 20 years down the road, what, what inland church looks like and what inland church has been able to accomplish together. And, and if 20 years down the road, you know, Inland Church is still around, then then I just know it's going to be something beautiful and something significant, um, something that's very much like God's kingdom. I was having a conversation um, with some of our leadership recently here uh, in Clayton Mosaic, and, you know, we, we were having this ongoing, probably nine-month conversation around success and how we define success. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the questions I asked them to wrestle with um, was, if Mosaic wasn't here tomorrow, would it make a difference in the Clayton community? And you could just hear that pregnant, gulping <laughs> pause from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then they begin to answer. Um, and I think from from our conversations together uh, from the stories you're able to share uh, to the fellowship, to, you know, the people that I've actually been able to encounter with Inland. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the case. If, if Inland church wasn't in Spokane tomorrow, would it make a difference? And I think the answer is it would make a difference. It would make mm-hmm. a great difference. Uh, and so I, I say that to you, um, you know, as, as a representative of the fellowship to say, thank you. You know, thank you for the great work that, y'all have poured yourself into. Uh, thank you for your willingness to, to sacrifice and to step out in faith, to, to leave greater Texas and California, two states that think they own the entire United States and, <laughs> and, and make your mark in Spokane. And y'all have done, y'all have done and continue to do beautiful work. So thank you. Well, that's very, very kind. Um, thanks, Andy. Um, and honestly, I think that. Um, I, I received that. Absolutely. Um, I think that's just a, just one example of many that, that speaks to the value of, uh, CBF, um, in my life and in the life of Inland Church. Um, 
uh, with CBF, we have found uh, a family and uh, we've found support and encouragement. Um, honestly, a lot of the times when we need it the most. Um, so thank you. Uh, it's definitely something that we are grateful to be a part of. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.